people pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Every once in a while, a person comes along who defies the odds, who defies logic, and fulfills an incredible dream. On behalf of all the citizens of Philadelphia, and the many who have been touched by your accomplishments and your untiring participation in this city's many charity functions, it is with tremendous honor that we present this memorial, which will stand always as a celebration to the indomitable spirit of man. Philadelphia salutes its favorite son, Rocky Balboa. Welcome to the Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I am talking with Paul Farber. He is the host of WHYY's podcast, The Statue, and Monument Lab's co-founder and director. The Statue is a brand new podcast coming to you from NPR and WHYY. Why am I talking about another podcast on the Projection Booth? Well, simply put, it is because this is all about the Rocky statue over in Philadelphia, all of the stories around it, how it came to be, why people visit it. It's a fascinating story. Had a great time talking with Mr. Farber. I hope you'll enjoy the interview and definitely check out the statue. It is currently out there and available. There is a link over at projectionboothpodcast.com. Definitely check it out and enjoy this interview. Paul Farber, before we even get into the statue, I'm so curious about you and your career. How did you even get involved in radio? My background is as a scholar, a writer, a journalist, was always around the idea of history and memory and art. So like how in culture do we make meaning and what are the kind of stories that we tell? Um, and I've done that in a number of different forums. Most prominently, I'm a co-founder of an organization called Monument Lab. We're a nonprofit public art and history studio based in Philadelphia. And um, I get to work with a remarkable group of um, artists and scholars and curators and, and educators who are really thinking about the past, present, and future of monuments. And while that's my, my, my primary work, radio has been something that has been interesting and a kind of area of I've long thought of as a really important way to, to reach people and also learn. Um, during um, my PhD time at the University of Michigan, I was an intern at Michigan Radio and got to do stories on the musician Jay Dilla and just got to kind of think in another way. And that's been exciting. And so this project with the statue is something that I had thought about the last few years and just getting a chance to work with WHYY Digital Studios in Philadelphia 
it was a great way to bring these interests to bear, but also really explore it with uh, an amazing team who could ask their own questions as well. The whole idea of monuments and looking behind them, looking at the meaning, looking at the cultural impact, I mean, it's fascinating stuff. It's definitely been in the more popular consciousness, especially over the last, say, 10 years or so. But I mean, what even got you interested in that? You know, in my career and life, been really interested in the way that we make memory. And that includes the official stories, often in monuments or, you know, kind of like inscribed. And then the unofficial, especially pop culture, film, um, poetry, music, and understanding the conversation between those official and unofficial means. Um, I did my um, PhD dissertation on American artists in the Berlin Wall and was really fascinated that this kind of political um, symbol and um, geopolitical divide ended up being fundamentally woven together with pop culture. So anyone from Angela Davis to Alvin and the Chipmunks, if there was an American pop cultural figure that had something to say while the wall looked out or even after, you'd find that. And even like the highlight reels of history and um, World Cup commercials and Pepsi ads, um, you name it. And so I think for me, I was really interested from that project in not just how the wall entered pop culture, but how um, pop culture became a way to see politics. And it was bumping into pieces of the wall displaced from Cold War Germany into American public spaces and food courts and casinos and subway stations. It got me really thinking about what's going on with monuments. If we have pieces of the wall all around the United States, what other stories are not being told? And that was really my entryway into the work of monuments. And so why Rocky Balboa? How did this one come to you? You know, I have to um, give praise or praises due to my mom, who is a Philly native. Um, She's a retired professor. I was getting ready um, to teach a class on... Um, Philadelphia history and at at the University of Pennsylvania. And she asked me if I was going to be covering Rafti. And I kind of scoffed at it. And she gave me one of those looks that if you could picture it, it's like, how could you? And so that year, her her birthday's right around um, the holidays. We're we're Jewish, but you know, we like on Christmas and right around Christmas always watch movies. And so that year we watched Rafti one for her birthday. I started then teaching about Rocky, and at that time, the Creed spinoffs were coming in as well. And I was just really fascinated by the way that my students were having conversations about 1970s Philadelphia and then present-day Philadelphia and kind of how they were weaving together, especially stories about race, gender, and class. And then it was, it was finally, it was working with an organization um, on which um, I, I serve on the board, A Long Walk Home. Uh, it's a organization in Chicago that um, works with young women of color um, to fight um, sexual violence and use art for advocacy. And they came to Philadelphia to give a talk, kind of share really like their work in, like, in the Me Too movement. And when they came to Philadelphia, they gave their really impressive socially engaged art talk, and then they wanted to go to the Art Museum steps and run up. And they, they had the Rocky music playing in the background. This included um, the leader of the group, Shahrazad Tillett, and also um, some of the young women in the Girlfriends program who were not alive when the Rocky film went out, but they had heard stories from their parents 
And they are people who are really thinking about the future of public art, especially broadening representation. And, and just all of those things together made me think like there's something going on here. I guess the last thing I should say is that right around the start of the pandemic, I started spending time at the Rocky statue. There were not many places you could go, but you could be outside. And there was always a line. And I would see people from all walks of life across lines of race, gender, class, sexual orientation, political affiliation, and they found their story at Rocky. And so it really set something off for me. And, and I ended up at that point watching every single Rocky film, every, every spinoff, and then all the documentaries and, and fan work around it. And just saw that this was a place, not just where a monument was coming to life, but that the film world and the city were one in the same. And this is where life was imitating art in such fascinating ways. I've listened to that first episode of The Statue, and I can't wait to hear more of it because it sounds like you've got stories coming in from all of these different angles and just being able to tell those all in relation to this one monument and just the story of the monument itself. Like, I didn't realize that it hadn't always been there for some reason as a you know, Detroiter, I just associated, like, I, I think I had been to Philadelphia and had obviously knew about the steps and this whole thing, like the bus will actually stop and be like, okay, here's the art museum. Here's the steps. If anybody wants to run up the steps. And I always thought that the statue was there forever, you know, since 1976. So I didn't really realize that. No, no, it was a movie prop. And then it just came there. I thought it was a celebration of Rocky himself. I think that's a lot of the ways that we quickly understand monuments in general, that we we know that they had to be installed by a person in a, at, a, at a place and a time, but they are meant to communicate that they're, that they're timeless. And I think what's fascinating about this one is that the Rocky statue, while it was created as a film prop, they could have used styrofoam, they could have used wood and painted it but they worked with the artist a thomas schomburg um to cast it in bronze and as a part of the research for the statue series we spent time with the artist a thomas schomburg and really asked about a kind of breakdown and, and luckily the season you'll get to hear really behind the scenes including and i had a chance to go to his studio to see some really rarely seen photographs of the experience and there's this just really fascinating um, kind of thing going on between the statue in the film and the statue now in the city of Philadelphia, which is while it was being made, the director of, you know, it appears in Rocky Three, and that film is, is directed by Sylvester Stallone, um, in addition to acted, acted by and, and written by. And he really anticipated the shot and so worked with the, the sculptor to really understand that. But I think what's fascinating to me is in hearing from the sculptor, the sculptor said, you know, while the statue was based on a life mask of Sylvester Stallone and he molded the figure based on poses and a series of photographs taken of Stallone um, at the boxing gym, that he was making a sculpture not of the person Stallone, but of the character Balboa. And that he really believed, you know, and this is that is part of why you get this lasting symbol. It hasn't been there forever, but there is something different going on with it than most of their monuments. Many of our monuments we've inherited are based upon the kind of conventions of Western and European painting, where like to be important, you look off into the distance and you don't make eye contact. But this, because it was made as a film prop and anticipated being seen on, on screen, 
faces ever so slightly to the ground, which makes it now an object that actually connects with people in a, in a different way than the dude on the horse. Um, so I think that there's something really powerful to learn there, but there's also really, you know, important context that we get on, get into in the show and this feeling that you said that it's been there forever. Well, we also wanted to take a look at the real boxers in Philadelphia, especially the legacy of black boxers in the city and see where they are remembered and where they are not. And, you know, it's not a one-off thing. It's not a um, an either or. It's looking at both ends. But we wanted to understand the true biography of the Rocky statue on screen and in real life. Well, and then that it has moved over the years as well. I mean, doesn't it start off at the top of the steps, move someplace else completely, and then moves down? Is it now at the bottom of the steps? That's right. That's right. And it's and his journey is a little bit bigger than that. I would just like give you the quick rundown is um, of all the places that the Rocky statue has been, the first place was the Rockies in the mountains. That's where the artist Schomburg um, made it in his studio. And then it traveled to Philadelphia for the filming of Rocky Three. It appeared on screen at prominent moments. You know, there's this amazing scene um, of the city of Philadelphia and a fictional mayor kind of honoring um, Rocky Balboa at the top of the art museum steps with a statue and Clever Lang played by Mr. T famously, you know, says like, don't give him a statue, give him the guts and it sets up a, an epic battle in Rocky three. And there are times in the film where the statue ends up still playing a role. It's like a, it's both like an honor for Balboa and also haunts him. Like he takes his motorcycle up there at later on the film and and just kind of like is, is reckoning with this larger than life depiction and, and is trying to overcome his own list. You also have that um, statue while it was supposed to only be there temporarily, it was left behind while it ended up being offered to the city of Philadelphia. It was there during the premiere party, which was held of all places at the art museum right behind it. Um, it ended up going to the stadium, the now demolished spectrum and every once in a while would be moved for like a, a film or ca- or some kind of special event. Um, Rocky Five, the statue goes back to the top of the steps in the kind of questions like there's there's this continued voice to bring it back. And the city ended up settling on putting it at the at the base of the steps where it is now. Like there's this great moment in the first Creed film where when Balboa is bringing Creed, the younger Creed's Philadelphia. One of the first things they do is go visit the statue. So you have art and life constantly blurring in this statue's history and where it has been um, and where it may be going next. Well, it's fascinating. You mentioned the black boxers of Philadelphia. And just, I forget, I just rewatched all the Rocky films and I forget just the space that race takes, you know, from the very first film, but then it just gets even more and more uh, important as we go along, especially in the second film where people are just decrying Apollo Creed for accusing him of throwing the fight, not giving his all, not being a man, not being a good husband, being a good father, and just all of this pressure that's on him for what he didn't create, but he, he kind of created this situation when it comes to this whole idea of giving the this underdog a shot, but there's just so much that plays into it. Then yeah, to your point with Clubber Lang, I mean, he just represents a different type of black male persona that we have. I mean, it's like I said, you can go so many places with this story. Yeah. I mean, and that's true on screen and off screen. And I think that I give one example on this thing we explore in the statue 
we take a look at the life of, of Joe Frazier, who is a celebrated black boxer originally from South Carolina, but sets up his life in Philadelphia. And, you know, this is a person who um, was one of the boxers that Stallone modeled the figure um, Rocky after because he was known for punching meat in the slaughterhouse that he worked and running up the art museum steps. Joe Frazier had a cameo in Rocky one. And then for Rocky three, um, as has been shared publicly in several sources, the idea that Stallone had for Rocky three was that Rocky Balboa would fight real life Joe Frazier. And he wanted to have Joe Frazier be in the ring and be the opponent. So, um, they they have an audition in a boxing ring, and it ends with Stallone um, uh, getting um, several punches by Frazier um, and ending up with stitches, and they abandon the plan. And I think, you know, this is like one, again, these moments is really important to note because within the film's series themselves, there are these moments where real-life boxing history comes into bear, either by a, a cameo or by a subtext, there's other moments where art and life are kind of blurring. And I think that the story of Joe Frazier is incredibly important to the story of Rocky, because what we say in the podcast is that there's something extraordinary and ordinary happening with the Rocky statue. I mean, it's extraordinary. There are millions of visitors every year. There's more than double than go to the Liberty Bell. It's in Statue of Liberty territory in terms of numbers. And people go and find great meaning there. It is a place of hope, of overcoming. I mean, we we call it, he's the patron saint of the underdog. And I truly, in my, all my work on monuments, I think that this is an extraordinary sight. At the same time, when you go to places like the abandoned Joe Frazier gym in North Philly, or have a, a different kind of sense of the way that Black history um, is under-resourced in the city of Philadelphia, if not many other places, you get a feeling this is ordinary, that a fictional white working-class hero has been elevated in the city of real-life Black boxers. And I think that, you know, there's more than more than enough room for more than one monument. But, like, what I really want people to think about is, like, how can we both understand how powerful and meaningful the Rocky story is and address the erasures that we see throughout our monument landscape. How long does it take you to research and put all of this together? I've been spending the last two years um, on this podcast and then working with WHYY, um, our local NPR station, for the last year. And I just want to give immense appreciation to the production team, Tom Grassler, Michael Alcott, Michaela Winberg, and our, and our whole team, because it really took this whole crew. One of the first steps was just going to the statue almost every week for the last two years to just observe, to talk to people, to go into the museum. Um, and then what I did was watched every film, um, watch of the Rocky series and the Creed series, and then every documentary I could get my hands on, The Pretender featuring Mike Kunda, The Real Rocky, the ESPN 30 for 30. There were some great parody films as well. What if Rocky ended the Cold War, I think by College Humor. So I just tried to put all that together. And then a lot of reading. Sylvester Stallone not only was the writer of the Rocky series, but wrote a lot about his process. And so anything from books I could find on eBay to uh, a big um, kind of art book produced by a German publisher, Taschen, 
um, to any scholarly work. And then we went about when we started, when I started working with WHYY and we, we got our team together, started talking to people. Um, we started talking to people at the statue in line. So we were able to meet people from all over Philadelphia and all over the world. I, you know, was thinking a few um, weeks ago, I went and met um, friends from Kuwait who came to Philadelphia just to see the Rocky statue. And then we talked to people who had different kind of perspectives, like from the neighborhoods where um, the Rocky legend started. We wanted to know what life is like at his old um, house and in the streets of the Ninth Street Market, and we're able to get layered stories. Um, we ended up talking and spending time in Rocky's other home away from home, Hollywood, going to Wax Museum, and then eventually meeting with the artist. So I think that like the amount of work for this project, you do you you try to find as much as you can, and then what you're doing is shaping a narrative. And I have to say, you know, it's it's tough because. There's so many stories that like we really wish we could get in there, but what we wanted to do is give listeners a, a, a guide to be able to see the statue, to see the Rocky story in a new way, and again, to appreciate the complexity, to take on tough questions about race and gender and representation, and appreciate that something is happening here that's really worth our attention, and that the story's there. I mean, I was just moved talking to people who um, were, no matter what they're feeling on the Rocky statue as they had a story to tell. How do you even map out where you're going to go with all of these things? Because obviously you have to have some sort of plan at the end of the day. First of all, you know, appreciating your podcast and your listeners and like what it means to map out the life of, of a film, let alone a film with many spinoffs and, um, and um, sequels. And so what we would do for every episode, you know, I went in with an idea and we sat with the producers and they went and gathered tape and interviews. And we really just kind of worked with what we had and tried to figure out, you know, it's one thing writing a book or making a documentary, but when you make a podcast, you have to bring people to sound in, in other ways. Luckily there was this really big mix of, cinematic content and interviews and humorous stories and real things that hit you in the gut. And so what we would do for every episode is really sit down before we had a script set and really try to figure out like, okay, well, what story gets us where and how can we both meet people where they are? What are the questions people want to know? How did the statue get here? What's the deal with the art museum? And share things that surprised us. You know, in the first episode, um, it was a story of a man, um, uh, Hasib Payab, who um, fled the Taliban in Afghanistan and chose with his family under duress Philadelphia because of the Rocky story. So that's the kind of thing that you want to bring in to not just meet people where they want to know things, but just push the narrative. And I just think, you know, a lot of, of, of tinkering so just, you know, we did listening sessions with people at WHYY and the Monument Lab team, and you'd hear things. And look, like, let's be clear, there are people who we interviewed and who um, are listeners who are Rocky heads. Like, they know everything. We had to give them some love. Uh, we had to give people who have never seen Rocky, have only seen Creed, or only know the statue some love. And so I think my hope is that we found a meeting ground but yeah, there's all these alternative versions where like, I really want to nerd out on the like, oh my God, but what did you see what happened when they went to this place in the city or that place? 
And from my perspective, I was always looking at both what what kind of places of history and memory are living in this series and not just the statues, but grave sites and historic markers and churches and buildings. And then out of the series itself, like I'm researching as much as I can about like what was around the story that also informs that. And I just, even some of the stuff that never got on screen from Stallone's writing or even like auction house papers, you find all these gems that, you know, hopefully we'll find another way, like conversations like this. But, you know, the hope is to offer people in the series something that at least is a, a starting point or a continuing point to also go deep. How many episodes is it altogether? There are six episodes. Yeah, they're each about 25 minutes to half an hour. And um, they take on different topics. They're kind of woven together. So the idea is that, you know, some people will listen one per week they come out now for the next next few weeks every Tuesday, but some may get this all together. You might not know about the podcast until Creed 3 is out. Who knows? And someone can listen to our podcast, our conversations today, a few years from now. So you also want to make it really tight together. So each of the episodes has a main theme and a set of of, of kind of questions that we try to answer. And so, you know, as we open up, we're really thinking about this pilgrimage that millions of people make each year to the Rocky statue and what informs them and what are the conditions and the histories of why the statue's there. And we try to tease out like just how meaningful this is to people. In later episodes, we dig into the stories of Stallone as a visual artist. Before he ever wrote Rocky, before he ever acted the part, he created a piece of visual artwork and carved with a screwdriver into canvas the image of what would become Rocky. And so we try to dive into his artistic process. And then, you know, of course, we spent a lot of time on the Joe Frazier legend and the talking to people in Philadelphia neighborhoods um, who still carry the Rocky story with them as if Rocky is a citizen of the city. But they're facing the opioid crisis and gentrification and other contemporary issues. And they're reckoning with what it means to have a fictional character loom so large. And as we go through the the series, what we kind of go through is both the kind of story of how Hollywood is a place that art and life blur, but also getting an insight then into what is the future of monuments and how can Rocky, the Rocky statue and the Rocky story help us decode where we are with our monuments and where we want to be. Being here in Detroit, as I'm sure you know, being a, a fellow U of M student, we've had this whole thing with the RoboCop statue for years and it's this whole idea of, do you celebrate a fictional character? Does it make sense that it's RoboCop? What does RoboCop represent? RoboCop wasn't even shot in Detroit, though it was set here. Just so many questions around that. And I can't even imagine, you know, that's, it has yet to even see the light of day to have this Rocky statue out there every single day. I mean, I'm so glad that you're addressing these questions. Thinking about another statue that was an important place of research that I, I wanted to find a way to get in the series. It didn't quite make it. It's the Joe Lewis fist um, in Detroit by by the river. You know, it's a site that I have seen that's iconic. Um, but I went there. I was really taken by that history as well because the while well, it's it's well known that it's as a celebration of Joe Lewis. When you go and you try to find Joe Lewis's story, it's not really told there. It's actually the story is that Sports Illustrated paid for a symbol to be put in. And I think it's just 
you know, like that is a great example of how monuments both give us a glimpse into the story of of our past, but also like they're stranger than fiction. They're not facts on a pedestal. They're all interpretations. And so for some people that Joe Lewis um, Fist is an immensely important place of protest, of gathering, of empowerment. I also left wondering, well, what's the story of Joe Lewis? Why did he matter to Detroit? And who was he? And I didn't get that from the monument. Looking at how art and life blur in fascinating ways, but maybe gives us insight into not just the monuments we've inherited, but the monuments that we need, the monuments that we crave. People cra- want to know history. If you want to know the history of something, what do you do? You go find a film about it. You read a book. You talk to loved ones or a teacher. You not go to a monument and go look it up. And this idea that you know, if we change our monuments or comment on our monuments, we're interrupting history. We don't say that when we're knocking down neighborhoods, right? To replace them, we don't say that when um, you know statues stand and, and lord over us without any context. And so I think what is really fascinating for me is having the Rocky statue as, as a symbol, you can relate it to all these other places in the world where art and life are blurring. You know, I find that fascinating. Just, just one last example in Philadelphia where the Rocky statue is, right across the parkway is a, a statue of George Washington on horseback surrounded by mythical beings and nameless indigenous figures. When you see that, that's a prop too. That is propping up particular ideas about conquest, about the story of this country that aren't necessarily about the man, the leader. It is about a way that you tell history that erases a lot of the story of this land. And so Rocky actually is really interesting because it gives us a framework to understand not just the Rocky story, which is endlessly fascinating, has rabbit hole on rabbit hole, but how to look at our monuments more broadly, and just the way that we learn our history. Because the way we learn our history is not like we perceive facts that are settled. It's always about learning across generations and evolving and doing it together. Yeah, there are so many statues, even, you know, just when I go to Chicago, Philadelphia, New York, where I'm just like, what is this supposed to be? Like, who is this person? What's their story? What merited them getting a statue? So, whether it's Rocky or, you know, public art in, in Chicago or whatever, I am so fascinated by these stories. I'm so glad you're doing this. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And, and I feel like this, you know, we could have started it in any statue, but this one I felt like really had to because, you know, again, at first I thought, oh, this is just a part of this film series. And then when you take a deeper look, you understand this universe that kind of centers around it that then goes on and off screen. And we're talking about a story that, you know, originated about 50 years ago and still feels relevant and palpable. And Creed 3 is coming out in March of 2023. It's the first version that doesn't have Sylvester Stallone starring in it. And just in the, in the trailer, it is directed by Michael B. Jordan, who also stars. Um, there's a gravesite and a memorial in it already. And I, I'm interested to see, you know, the whole premise of that film, and the, at least from the trailer, is about understanding your past to move forward with it. So again, the, the parable about the boxer, the parable about the underdog is fundamentally about living with history in dynamic and healing ways. And so my hope is that people take in this show and they are asking themselves questions about the statues where they live 
and how they relate to that, no matter whether they're from a Hollywood story or from American history. And they're fundamentally asking themselves, how do I relate to this and how does this relate to me? So what's next for you? Right now, we're finishing the series. We're doing our final recording over the next few days. So it's really exciting to get it out there, but just you know, really focused on finishing up the statue. And then with my team at Monument Lab and um, my, my close colleague, Salami Chatil, at work curating a show of prototype monuments on the National Mall next fall called Pulling Together. And so that's a great opportunity. You know, a lot of my work is, is kind of across either writing or thinking or producing work about monuments or building them. And so we have this great opportunity to work with a remarkable group of artists, the trust of the National Mall, the National Park Service to, you know, continue this conversation about what monuments can look like in the future and what we need from them to have a healthy, vital democracy that reckons with the past and imagines a, a future that's that tells a fuller story ahead. Paul, thank you so much for your time. This is great talking with you and congratulations on the podcast. It is really terrific. I can't wait to hear the rest of it. Oh, Mike, thank you so much for this conversation. I'm a big fan of your podcast. It's a real treat to be here with you.